This is a Broad Pods production. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host today is the delightful Angela Pippos. Hello, Ange. Hi, Jo. Happy International Women's Day for yesterday. Yes, yes, for yesterday, but why don't we just embrace it for all of this week? Uh, it is our International Women's Day show, which comes with great celebration, but also renewed commitment from all of us here to continue fighting mm-hmm. for gender equality. And we are today, Ange, putting international into International Women's Day because we're going to cross to Kenya, if you don't mind. I'm very excited about this. We can't travel in real life, so it's good to go places <laughs> virtually. Absolutely, and thanks to the magic of the internet, uh, we are going to be meeting a Melbourne woman living in Nairobi who is running a handmade furniture-making business and having real impact for local artisans and artists there. Also, CEO of Diversity Council Australia, Lisa Anise, is joining us to take us through the myth-busting that they're doing around family violence and the workplace. For the laughs, we're going to be joined by comedian Diana Nguyen. We need a good laugh these days. Absolutely. Let's embrace that. And we're going to be meeting a wonderful Melbourne grandmother who is taking us through International Women's Day over the years. She's an amazing woman. We can't wait to meet her. Now, Ange, before we begin, I must mention, please go to our YouTube channel at Broad Radio Oz and like and subscribe. It's really important. You're not going to miss an episode or any of the highlights. If you do that, head over to YouTube at Broad Radio Oz. Now, Ange, International Women's Day, what does it mean for you? Well, I've got to say the theme this year of Choose to Challenge just feels a little bit light, a little underdone, given what the country is talking about at the moment. And I, for one, feel terribly let down by our leaders. And I feel like the response to the allegations of sexual violence um, have been woefully inadequate. So I'm feeling a little bit... um, yeah, like choose to challenge is not really my theme this year. I'm a bit more motivated to march. Yeah, I'm going to march, march the 15th. I'm going to be there in the heart of Melbourne because I feel like we've got to send a very strong message that this is just not acceptable um, yeah. on any level. So for me, it's like you said at the start, it is a celebration of how far we've come and we have come a long way. We absolutely have, but it's also a, a chance to talk about what else needs mm. to be done to make life um, equal, you know, yeah. because it's not at the moment. doesn't matter what sphere you're in, uh, women still don't have true equality. So it's, it's about both. Yeah, I do often feel a little overwhelmed when I think about the amount of work still yet to be done. And, yes, Monday the 15th of March, I hope hundreds of thousands of people, men and yes. women, take to the streets with real fury because you're right, Ange, at the moment we're not getting the kind of leadership that we need in this country to instigate real change and for people to be yep. safe. I mean, that's as simple as that, right? But I also feel overwhelmed when I know things like, you know, women account for just over a third of all managers in major companies. Uh, There's only 10 female CEOs in the ASX 200 companies. Women are earning less because of the gender pay gap. And, of course, one 
woman a week dies at the hands of a current or former partner. These are things that are absolutely yep. unacceptable and must change. Yes, but anger can be a useful thing because you think about the women's movement of the 1970s, it was anger that drove that effective action and that change, you know, anger about not being able to control their own bodies, about not having equal pay and not feeling safe, um, the same sorts of things that we talk about today, mm. um, but it was anger that got them marching. So I think it's really important that we harness this feeling that we've got and and turn it into something meaningful and that's a good starting place um, on the 15th yes and we'd love to hear from you today actually if you are watching or listening live either on facebook or on youtube give us a comment let us know what you're feeling around international women's day do you have anger what are the things that you would like to see change um are you going mm. to be marching on monday the 15th uh because it's happening all around the country and we'll give you some details a little yeah. later on as to how you can engage with that so yeah do let us know um how you are feeling today around all the things that you feel you know need to change and it's even things like mm. unpaid labor the amount of unpaid labor that women yeah. do or you know yeah. i'll tell you one of my absolute bugbears and it's gender bias yep. in medicine and medical research i am yes. enraged by how women are overlooked ignored mm. how we're not listened to for everywhere from gps right through to the fact that you know research is not done with a female mm. body in mind i mean it's just yes. that kind of bias really enrages me and that is you know an unconscious and conscious bias that mm. keeps women out of that space and for me that i've got a I've got an optimistic story because one of the things that really has annoyed me and continues to annoy me, it's the lack of public statues yes. um, uh, dedicated to women, right? Yes. And people say, why is that such a big deal? Well, public statues um, give us um, an insight into how society views its women and men. And if you don't see statues of women, it just gives the impression, it sends the message that the achievements of women are not as important as those achievements of men. And it gives a very skewed version of history, right? Because women have been there throughout history, but they've been ignored. Mm. So statues are a way of addressing that imbalance. So when you, you know, you can, you rock up to the statue with your kids or with friends and you talk about that woman, you fill in that gap in your knowledge of history. It's so important. So <laughs> finally, I'm a step closer to hashtag Betty in bronze. Um, <laughs> Betty Wilson, I know I've spoken about her before. <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with this story. She played cricket for Australia in the 1950s. She was an all-rounder. She was an exceptional cricketer. Well, I believe that we should have a statue of Betty in Melbourne somewhere, whether it's outside the MCG or perhaps the Junction Oval, we need to have Betty in bronze. The good news is Cricket Australia has now announced a working group to decide who will have immortalised in bronze and where they'll be around the country, which women cricketers. So for so many years, I've been the self-appointed spokeswoman when it comes to this now i belong to an actual working group it's official gives me lots more credibility yes. <laughs> more structure <laughs> which i need because the way i would well the way that i went for the statue in 2018 was i just jumped into the deep end right and i said yes. to the president of the melbourne cricket club we need a statue of betty wilson now outside the mcg so the good thing about having cricket australia behind me the might of Cricket Australia is it gives it the structure to go forward and get lots of statues around the country of women who have played cricket at the highest level. It's good. It's amazing. And I'm, I have to say, so you're right, there are many, <laughs> many optimistic pieces of news and, and, and moments yeah. of change over the last year and a couple of years. You know, let's not be yes. completely downtrodden. Um, and one of the things that you have worked really hard and, I mean, you know, we've seen your documentary, which is amazing. Check it out on ABC iView, the record about the T20 World Cup last year where, you know, the women cricketers managed to get 86,100 <laughs> People at and the MCG. 74. And 74 at the MCG. <laughs> and now this endeavour to get our first statue of a woman cricketer 
somewhere in this country. Um, I really yes. want to commend you, Anne. You work really hard to make a difference for women in sport. And, uh, you know, this is just another another evidence of that, of you of how hard you're working to make a difference. And, and you're right. It changes the language. It changes the conversation and it, it educates yes. people. It's so important. Thanks, Joe. That means a lot for you to say that. Now, in 2018, when I tried, I hit a few roadblocks. What it shows is that three years later, you know, other people have caught up with the conversation and they're ready to do something about it. So you got to stick with it, you know, perseverance yeah. and tenacity. And um, I just can't wait to say to you, meet me at the Betty Wilson statue. That's what I want to say. Congratulations to you, Ange. Thank you. Well, we love celebrating women and their achievements here and all around the world. So let's cross now to Nairobi in Kenya, where we are going to meet Sarah Reeves, who is the founder of Love Artisan, a handmade furniture company making huge, beautiful furniture and having great impact. Hello there, Sarah. Hi, Joe. Hi, Ange. It's a pleasure to be on your International Women's Day series. Well, happy International Women's Day. I believe we've snuck in by about 30 minutes. It's still International Women's Day yeah. in Nairobi. It is, yep. Now, I know you're a Melbourne girl. You were working in tourism. You ended up eventually moving to Nairobi, Nairobi excuse me, mm-hmm. um, and you've ended up making furniture. How did that happen? What, what was the instigator for moving into creating furniture there? Yeah, it's honestly, it's been quite the adventure. I've lived in Kenya for nine years now. And I, as, as you said, I worked in tourism. I had a career in tourism that brought me to Kenya in 2012. And uh, what happened was that tourism in Kenya went through a few volatile years, uh, 2013, 2014. It became hard to make a living. And so I started hustling. I started to do some events, I, I whatever it was to, to pay the rent. I I started a beekeeping company, which I have a real passion for until this day. Um, so I was really just doing what I could to survive. And the instigator for making furniture was that I moved into an apartment that didn't have any furniture. And the department store furniture is really quite expensive in Nairobi. It's imported furniture. I couldn't afford that. And I thought, well, I mean, how hard could it be to make furniture? And it was a lot harder than, than than I thought. So I had no idea. I mean, sometimes that's just life doesn't tell you until later when you're too far in. So <laughs> myself and the security guard actually went and bought like shipping pallets and crates and started making a, for my house a bed and a bookshelf and coffee tables. And, um, and then friends of mine said, well, can you make me this pallet sofa and can you make this for me? And so we started doing this from my living room and selling it to friends. And to be honest, it was terrible, (laughs) terrible quality. I don't know how we charged people money for it, but, uh, but we did. And, uh, and that was kind of the very beginning, the very genesis of my furniture making journey, which was in 2016. Um, Yeah. And then it's just grown from strength to strength from there. I mean, I had to close that down. That was happening in my living room, but eventually, I was able to start my own company, uh, Love Artisan, in 2017. And two two things about that. One is that the the security guard that started making the furniture with me from day one has walked that journey with me. So we still work together to this day. Mm-hmm. He gave up security. He's now making furniture. And number two, I still have a bed made out of tomato crates, which I <laughs> urgently need to upgrade. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was the beginning. And now you can definitely spend your money quite confidently on the furniture that we make. We've come a long way. Oh, well, it's beautiful <laughs> furniture. And we were admiring it before. I think we've got some uh, images from your Instagram. Um, Love mm-hmm. Artisan, check it out on Insta. But, uh, yeah, some of the furniture is magnificent. It, Thank you. Look, you Thank work you. with yeah. such beautiful fabrics. They're, they're stunning. They're absolutely stunning. But your company is about more than that, isn't it? So perhaps tell us about mm. the local furniture makers. Um, how have you changed their lives? Yeah, so th- thanks for the question, Ange. So basically how it is in Nairobi is that, not just Nairobi, in Kenya in general, there there's a lot of unemployment or informal employment, which means just you know not secure employment, no benefits working job to job. And in fact, it's, 
you know, maybe up to 40, 50% of our population here is working in some sort of informal work. So when I started in the furniture industry, even on the street where I work, which is the largest furniture making street, it's, you know, it's home to more than 2000 people earning a living there. And it's kind of a self-taught, self-regulated industry. And I, when I started Love Artisan, I thought, look, we have so much potential in our workforce here. And if we could just harness that potential and tap into it and give guidance and investment and attention to this and really give people, you know, dignified and sustainable employment whilst making really good quality furniture and also showcasing, you know, some of the beautiful textiles that, that the continent has. So that was really the, the impetus. I, I became very passionate and still am. Um, about just the impact that we can have at that sort of grassroots level of our economy. Um, so that's really, I think, what drives me and what drives the brand. As you said, it's handmade furniture, so it's a very personal thing, and you, you need to be able, you need to love what you do because I think it shows in the furniture that you make. And what about uh, some of the people that work with you and the artists? Mm-hmm. I imagine that you must get to know each other very well, and you know their families mm-hmm. and and what kinds of stories do they bring with them? Well, I think, yeah, you really, I mean, that's one of the interesting things is that sometimes when a foreigner or an expat comes to Kenya, not just Kenya, but uh, there can be this idea that you're saving somebody or or whatever it is. But the the fact is to, to run a business here, like anywhere, you need to know the people that you work with. You need to know them as individuals. What are their desires? What are their motivations? What are their goals? Uh, yes, I, I do know everyone's family. We're 12 people. We all work in the same one room, so we, we really do have to get along. Um, but, yeah, we're a very close, tight-knit bunch. I think we – I'm really blessed. I have to say I'm really grateful that the strength of the team that we have really does propel our company forward. So, But you really can't underestimate, even as a consumer, like the impact of a single purchase – from a company like ours, which kind of supports and impacts that, I'll sort of say the grassroots level of the economy. Uh, you know, $1 spent in that uh, environment just really goes so far, you know, whether it be us who is making the furniture, but there are so many people involved in that value chain of making even just a single chair. Um, and, you know, and it's impacting people that that don't necessarily have steady employment so those decisions that we make as consumers every day add up to the point of like can this mother educate her children or you know those types of things so we really can't underestimate uh the impact that we have as consumers and where we choose to spend our money and sarah sometimes in business um in striving for targets and and profit and all of that in the hurly-burly of business that human connection can be lost, can't it? And the storytelling gets lost. That's really important to mm. you, isn't it, with, with your company? Yeah, and I think it's probably more important than the profits. I don't know what my accountant has to say about that, but um, <laughs> certainly my my drive for the company is not, you know, it's not really profit-driven. To me, I think profit is always an outcome of doing serving a need or solving a problem and so forth. So to me, it's really making sure that, we're able to harness the potential that we have. And and like in my biggest mission, my biggest, wildest dreams, I want to help, how can I say, I want to help put Kenya on the map. That sounds a bit too conceited. I don't mean it to be that way, but I want to help change the narrative that like we can make really great quality furniture coming out of Kenya. We can make funky original furniture. And I think that, we can challenge people's assumptions of what's mm. possible. Sarah, it is, of course, International Women's Day still in Kenya and we're holding on to it. I mean, for the rest of the week, let's not, let's not <laughs> stop celebrating women and our incredible achievements <laughs> and stop fighting for equality. Um, but, of course, it's a global event, but I do think that uh, we here in Australia can maybe feel a bit disconnected from other women around the world. So I wonder if you could share with us what would the women of Kenya want us to know about the challenges they might face and what sorts of things they celebrate? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's a saying here um, that if you educate a woman or if you empower a woman, then you empower the entire uh, community, the entire society. And I really think it, it does hold true. I think 
the women of Africa, not just Kenya, but are really the backbones of family, of community, and ultimately of economy as well. Um, so I think they play a crucial role. And thankfully, there's been, there's been more focused now on the importance of educating girls um, and including women in the workforce. For us, our management team are all women. Um, but one thing I'm really proud of in terms of, because it is a real challenge here. I mean, women are often not able to get into employment as easily or stable employment as easily. They can be exploited um, at times as well. But one thing I'm really proud of is that we work with an organization called Clean Start, which helps women coming out of the prison system to reintegrate back into their societies. There's sensitization about stigma and so forth and become contributing members of their community again. So we were their pilot workshop. One of our team members, uh, Lynn, was a former prisoner. And this year we're hoping to bring on more women uh, because one of the things here in Kenya, there's no real state role that helps people coming out of the prison system. And often in prison here, I mean, many people are victims of circumstance. So I feel really good about giving women just that step back into society and, and a way to contribute in a meaningful way. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited to actually expand that side of the business this year. That sounds great. I love that. Now, just finally from me, it feels like you've been led across the other side of the world to fulfil your purpose. What advice would you give the rest of us um, who are striving to fulfil our purpose as well <laughs> um, in whatever yeah. fields of endeavour we're in? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, when I first moved here, my mum said, oh, but you're only going for two years, right? <laughs> okay. Now we're nine years in, she stopped asking me, but she's coming over for Christmas this year. So I think one of the beautiful things, the joys that Kenya has uh, opens me up to, you know, like opened my life up to is just, how can I say, the expansion that I've had from a personal growth point of view when I have allowed myself to uh, not just follow the, you know, the path that maybe in my career I thought I was going to take. So when you're open to opportunity and then, you know, life just keeps bringing amazing things to you. And I mean, my life in Kenya in the last nine years has taken me on a journey that I couldn't have imagined. There's, there's no way I thought I was making furniture. I mean, I did one semester of woodworking in like year 10 when I was 16 <laughs> and that's about the only experience I had. So I think maybe just the question is, is to allow ourselves to be more than what's written on a piece of paper or to just keep that space open for, as they say, where the magic happens, you know, and you don't necessarily know what it is, but if you live in this kind of state of allowance for, you know, some crazy things to come in, some adventures, whatever, or just, uh, being prepared to learn new things, being prepared to step out of your comfort zone. Like to me, it's been, I mean, it's been difficult. I can't say there hasn't been challenges, but. Oh, no. Oh, no. We've lost Sarah there. <laughs> I don't know what's happened, but unfortunately, I think maybe her internet has dropped out. Um, we did so well crossing to Nairobi, Ange. <laughs> We did, and great advice. It was about just stepping out of your comfort zone, mm, right, and not yeah. following the script that you think has been written for you. Mm. So um, we got we got the gist of that. It was really oh. it was a good note to I, end it on. It really really was, and I love how she said, "Life doesn't tell you um, how it's going to unfold or how hard it will be. You just go into it and yeah. then you go, oh my god." <laughs> Where am I now? How did this happen? So I just, it was so fantastic to catch up with Sarah Reeves there and check out her yeah. Instagram, Love Artisan. I don't think they're yet exporting those beautiful pieces of furniture, but I can't wait till hopefully she can expand into the rest of the world. Well, we'll I want a... the blue chair. Do you? Mm. Yes. Well, <laughs> I, I, I won't fight you for it. I'll, I'll take the lovely dusty pink, okay? <laughs> we'll have more broad radio after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On this International Women's Day, we welcome CEO of Diversity Council Australia, Lisa Anise. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Lisa, I think you would agree that there has been growing anger in Australia over the last few weeks, uh, as it has been revealed with the rolling headlines, the culture in Parliament of harassment and abuse. And I think that we're angry because it feels like nothing ever changes. It feels as though... We've been hearing these stories for a very long time in many different organisations and many different industries, not just Parliament. Um, and so I wonder, I want to ask you, why don't you think it's changing? And how is this related to gender equality? Because there is a very well-researched link between this kind of harassment and abuse and gender equality, isn't there? I mean, as to why, I mean, it's such a good question, as to why we are still... Um, having these conversations as to why these sorts of um, miscarriages of justice are being experienced by women in every workplace, um, in, in women's private lives. I mean, I don't have the answer to that. What I will say is we do know that all harassment and violence against women starts with gender inequality. And that if you focus on gender equality as a guiding principle, you can then work on creating a culture in which um, women um, can expect to be treated with dignity and respect. And that's a starting point. Okay, so hi, Lisa. Let's um, dispel a few myths around domestic and family violence because you've just released a document in association with Our Watch called Myth Busters. Um, let's begin with the workplace. What do you say to people who say to you, it has nothing to do with the workplace? Well, when individuals experience family or domestic violence, we know that two thirds of those women who experience that are actually employed. So even though the behaviours are not happening on work premises, um, you're employing, most you know, organisations are employing someone um, who has those experiences. And if you're an employer of any conceivable size, it is statistically inconceivable that you don't have women in your workplace who um, are victims of domestic and family violence. And so by its very nature, um, it then becomes an issue that the workplace has an opportunity to be able to address and perhaps provide support and provide an environment of safety and security for that individual. So whilst I suppose it's not a matter of business for a workplace, it's an enormous opportunity for workplaces to get involved um, to the extent that they can um, to support an individual. Which leads me to one of the other myths and a further question to that. You've put it here a myth, we aren't therapists or lawyers, there's nothing we can do. I imagine a lot of employers might think, well, even if I'm aware if this is taking place, what can I do? What what actually yeah. is within our power? Well, yeah, I mean, that's completely correct. I mean, it's unlikely that as an outsider to that situation, you're going to be able to stop the violence. Um, but what you can do is be present for that individual. We know from individuals who experience violence or indeed sexual assault or sexual harassment that the disclosure, their first disclosure of that will predict future disclosures. So if someone reveals something to somebody else in a workplace context and it's met with silence and walls, then they are very likely to keep that 
to themselves and never seek out appropriate help. If someone is met with an open heart, um, with someone who can listen, with someone who can be present, be with that person, then that might just be enough to enable that person to continue down the path to receiving the appropriate help. So whilst you can't actually address the offending behaviour, um, you can be there for somebody, you can listen, you can direct someone to resources. If you're a, a workplace that takes this matter seriously, you'll know what the resources are and if not, it's not that hard to find out. Um, and then you can also provide that environment of safety for that person. So there's a lot you can do, which can make a huge difference to someone, even if you don't actually um, have any opportunity to change that person's individual circumstances. Lisa, I want to ask you about perhaps a broader myth, and it's one that we hear over and over again, and that is if the woman was in real danger, she would just leave. Um, perhaps can you speak to the complexity around just leaving? It's not that easy. No, it's absolutely not that easy. And notwithstanding the fact the most dangerous time for a woman, um, the time when her life is most at risk and most under threat is at the point of leaving or ending a relationship. That's when you're most likely to become a victim of homicide. Um, and so they're the risks of leaving that obviously individuals are weighing up. Um, but then what you also have to understand is the pattern of coercive control that's happened to that individual that might have eroded their agency around getting away. Notwithstanding, there are also other factors. We know um, a lot of women, I'm involved in an organisation at the moment now who recognise that a barrier sometimes to women leaving is that they may not be able to bring their pets into shelters, for example. Um, and so there's some work being done with an organisation around making you know, women's shelters pet friendly. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's difficult for someone to leave a situation that is harmful for them. And one of the big risks is that it will become even more harmful in those initial months and years of leaving. Lisa, we're talking about a general culture a lot in our workplaces at the moment because of what has unfolded in Parliament. And I wonder what you can, what advice you might give to a workplace or an employer if they feel that there's a culture of uh, gender inequality and maybe even are alert to a perpetrator being in their workplace. You know, because you can't assume that no one that you have in your workplace might be actioning this kind of um, family violence. Yes, it's a good point. And I suppose I need to clarify as well that the behaviours that are being discussed now in par about having taken place in the Parliament, in Parliament House, mm. are um, behaviours around sexual harassment and sexual violence um, and that domestic and family violence is a bigger, a bigger conversation. Having said that, um, it's all about the it's all about the culture that enables this kind of behaviour to be pervasive. And we know that all violence, all harassment starts um, starts with disrespect. Not all disrespect will end in violence and harassment, but all violence and harassment starts with disrespect. So if we can stop it at the start, if we can create environments where there are there is a culture of respect and dignity afforded to individuals, and that will go a long way. With respect to the idea that workplaces think that they may not have perpetrators, it's if two-thirds of women who are victims of violence are employed um, and someone is per perpetrating that violence, then chances are that those perpetrators are also in employment. Um, and so even if you don't know who those perpetrators are, if you are a workplace of any reasonable size, again, it's statistically very likely that you also have perpetrators of violence in your workplace as employees. And so even if you don't know who you're messaging to, um, you might just touch on the right ears with your messaging. Mm. Mm. So that's about establishing a culture in which we call out gender inequality? Yes, gender, gender inequality is a really complex um, it's a complex system of inequity. It's around. It's about direct behaviour that might 
degrade, humiliate, offend or harass um, a man or a woman, which is gendered. Um, it's also about a lack of opportunity. It's about things like paying people differently for doing work of equal value. It's about having unconscious barriers for women to um, fully participate at work, to be promoted into positions of leadership and power. It's around punishing people for um, working flexibly because they have small children. And that happens all the time in an unconscious way. Um, and it's also about um, not enabling men, for example, to be active parents. And so, you know, we know that it's much harder for men to get access to workplace flexibility and still be taken seriously in their career. So as a result, they don't go down that path at all. Well, that has massive ramifications for the partners of those men. Um, because someone has to raise children, someone has to look after children. It should be a joint responsibility between two parents if you're a heterosexual couple that is still together. And it actually benefits children to have two engaged parents. So um, that's a, a massive issue where there's huge inequality. Um, and it's inequality that's often framed in the language of choice. But if you really break it down, there's not a whole lot of choice that's happening. Um, people feel as though they have a lack of choice and so they make decisions based on their limited choices. If there's genuine choice and people choose to work in a particular way that excludes them from employment because they've made a personal decision, that's fantastic, that's brilliant. But actually that's usually not what we see. We often hear men and women talk about the cost of childcare only in the um, in, only in the terms of a woman's income, which is unbelievable. You never think of any other family expense in terms of one partner's responsibility. Mm. Um, but that's how our biases work. They're that strong. Mm. Yes. Lisa, we spoke about uh, leadership at the start of the show and we need strong leadership here to address this scourge on our society. And it doesn't appear that we're getting that in the political sphere, at least. Um, I'm reminded of a great quote from Annabelle Crabb, and she said this in 2015, political journalist Annabelle Crabb, if a man got killed by a shark every week, we'd probably arrange to have the ocean drained. And that is stuck in my head. How can we make our political leaders see that this is the most important issue for our society. It's an absolute national emergency. Um, almost two women are murdered every week at the hands of their domestic partner or intimate ex-partner. And like we discussed earlier, they're most likely to be killed when they are leaving that relationship. How can we? You know what, women are screaming from the rooftops about this and we have been for a really long time. The Every media um, outlet yesterday during International Women's Day was um, discussing these kinds of issues and then people forget about it. Yeah. What we need is for this to be considered a mainstream issue, not a women's issue. It's, this is an issue um, that actually affects every individual and it requires absolute political will. It requires everyone to treat it as a national emergency. Gendered violence is a very unique type of violence um, that has you know, appalling outcomes. And we're only talking about the women who end up murdered. That's not to, it's not even to mention the women who end up in hospital every day, the kinds of women who never seek help, the sorts of psychological scars that are left on the women and the children who experience or witness this sort of behaviour. I mean, I don't know what more women can do here because women are doing a lot. I think it's time that the fellas stepped up. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I, I'm really grateful to you for stating it so clearly and plainly there, Lisa. Um, we are all planning to march on Monday the 15th, uh, March for Justice, and we hope hundreds of thousands of women and men take to the streets around the country and send that very clear message. And it's up to us to keep the conversation alive in as many mainstream opportunities as possible because you're right, Lisa, it will disappear if we don't keep it going. Thank you so much, CEO of Diversity Council Australia, Lisa. I know that we're going to be uh, having you on the show uh, ongoingly over the next uh, year or so. I'm really pleased to have yep. you a part of Broad Radio. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
and we'll have more Broad Radio after this. Broad Radio, talking inspo we love, info we need and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday 9am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Oh, I think it's time for a laugh, Ange, don't you? Absolutely. It is over, overdue. <laughs> <laughs> it is overdue. It's a tricky time. I think we're all feeling very overwhelmed and quite exhausted by yes. uh, the feeling in the air. Uh, but let's celebrate life and let's celebrate a laugh. And so we're very pleased to welcome to the show comedian Diana Nguyen. Hello, Diana. Hello. Diana, I know that you are getting ready for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and you're doing a show called Chasing Keanu Reeves. Are you literally chasing Keanu? Does he know this? <laughs> Is, should he be worried? <laughs> uh, I've been chasing him for two years and the comedy festival was cancelled last year. So it's been in, the button, been in the oven for too long. So I can't wait to, um, just, to just to feel him somewhere in the audience, hopefully. <laughs> What, is it, what do you mean, though? What do you actually mean about chasing Keanu Reeves? Well, if we if we go a bit deeper, um, the premise of chasing Keanu Reeves is uh, two and a half years ago, I saw a meme of him sitting on a bench eating food, looking quite sad, and that turned me on. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was so turned on by this man being so available to his emotions. Um, so... I was thinking, like, what if we could chase that Keanu? He's, and he's got this weird cult behind him. People admire him. Um, his movies aren't all that great, but he's got this really great um, human in him. So I'm chasing that human, I guess. That's the idea of the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know him personally, um, <laughs> which is a tragedy. Um, I think what it is is he doesn't appear to be lost in showbiz like so many other people in with that sort of profile in Hollywood movies, they seem to have, I mean, there's an expression for it, but I, can't, I won't say it, but they, they are lost in, in showbiz. Um, so what other traits do you think you're looking for in a fella? Uh, my fella, I think, I've, like, you know, we've all gone through the lockdown and I'm from Melbourne. Um, I think I want um, intimacy. I think um, I've kind of grown up in my teenage and 20s going really fast and finding trying to find love really fast and also the physicality is also fast. But I think with last year I really learnt that by, you know, the simple touch or a kiss is also, you know, you don't need the whole the rabbit show. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really... I'm really asking for that intimacy and that slowness and an openness of a man who's willing to communicate how he feels and it doesn't need to be rushed. And I feel like that's something I'm looking forward in my next partner. I like that you point out this notion of being emotional in a, in a, in a person and I feel really sad and we've kind of, and you and I have talked about this a lot about how men often feel like they're not allowed to share that side of themselves. Um, you know, now with all this talk about gender equality, isn't that we want for men that they feel like that they can be emotionally available? Yeah, uh, I, I think the times are changing and I hope that, you know, Keanu Reeves sets that kind of tone. But, I, yeah, I think for both relationships to work, we need to listen to both sides and that takes time. So, you know, I know you had your guest before talking about um, women not being heard and you know, especially being International Women's Day yesterday, I think that conversation, and we've, we've seen it in the politics in the last two weeks, is that for so long women haven't been heard but we, we need to meet in the middle, I guess, mm. for if we want progress and change. So, 
Yeah. And that's right, Joe. This is the thing that often gets lost in the conversation about feminism is that it's also really good for men because it unshackles them from one particular type of masculinity where they have to be um, unemotional and so mm. stoic and they mm. can't show their feelings. So it's actually good for both sexes to to have different versions of masculinity and femininity and not be so... Um, you know, stuck with with one. So I would, I would think, not that I'm a social commentator, that that would make the jungle out there a little bit more enticing for women if if men are able to show other types of masculinity and not the one that they've had society's been telling them mm. to show for centuries. Yes, it's I optimistic. absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Now, but you and you know, and you're raising a boy, gorgeous yes. Francis, who's seven. Is he? Just turned eight. Just turned eight. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I suppose this is the opportunity for us as parents to raise the next generation yeah. of boys to perhaps be more Keanu Reeves-like if we're holding him up yeah. as the most available man on the planet. <laughs> um, so, that I mean, there's a great opportunity there and also a great, um, I suppose, responsibility around that. Um, but that is my segue, Diana, to the fact that you, as you are in the process of uh, finding your uh, emotionally available bloke, um, you're also taking matters into your own hands and planning on having a child on your own this year. Yeah, well, that's, uh, well, you know, what else am I meant to do this year? <laughs> lockdown I am um, you know it's kind of like a little side project I guess um but yeah I, I I've had to ask myself some really serious questions it's like I've known that I've wanted to be a mum for so long like like all my friends know it I know it my mum knows it my sister knows it and you know I'm going on dates and I know what I want but how do you tell this man across the table that you know what you want without freaking them out. And I'm tired of being apologetic um, of knowing what I want. Um, you know, I've been given advice, you should wait on the third date. Um, but then, you know, in the first date, I already find out that he's had a vasectomy or, you know, he doesn't want children. And I don't want that relationship with a man that doesn't want to bring a child into the world. So I guess I've really had to dig deep into me and think about like, Am I able to raise a child on my own? And I can. And so that's been that's been the big conversations I've had with myself. <laughs> I'm so tired of thinking about it. I think it's just easy just to do it. I really think it's just easier just to put it in and just get over it. <laughs> I absolutely go for it. You should go for it. And I've had girlfriends who have done that as well, have taken matters into their own hands. But what you're saying resonates with me because I was rocketing towards the age of 40 when I went furniture shopping on a very hot Melbourne day and I chatted up an Englishman and I had a I had a one-night stand that's still going 13 <laughs> years later. And I I had I had to raise the question of children really early on in our relationship. And yes, it freaked him out, <laughs> but I kept going and I just talked him into it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So all, all power to you. It's not always that easy to talk someone into it. Diana, are you going to use IVF or what's your plan? I, you did say something to me about a turkey baster. I wasn't. I did. <laughs> and I did say to you, I did say to you, is it appropriate to talk about turkey bastering? But again, I, I, I look, traditionally, I like my mum has, like, I've suggested IVF to my mum and she said, just have, you know, just have sex and don't leave. Like, don't move. Like, don't, no, just do it for free. In my day, we did it for free. He doesn't get the concept of paying loads of money for IVF. Right. Um, but you know, I am open to options. Like, you know, I'm not sure if I want the hormones in my body to get to that state of having a baby. So I am doing research. Um, I'm going to try and get through the comedy festival first before, you know, attacking the new project. Um, but I am open. I've been asking my friends, um, gay friends, who might be interested. Um, I'm, a, I'm very interested in co-parenting. I think co-parenting is an excellent um, scenario so that, you know, you get your three days off from your child. And, you know, yeah, I'm just, I'd, for me, it's like I just don't want to just, you know, 
raise a child. I would love to carry a child. I think it's a wonderful science experiment to have in your body and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens, eh? Oh, well, we wish you all the best with that, Diana. Yes. I think it's it's truly um, a very, very common challenge for so many women. And yeah. what I'm really inspired by is you just saying, well, why? I'm sick of waiting and I'm sick of uh, being apologetic. I agree. Let's not be apologetic. Yeah. Ugh. Mm. It's so so exhausting to constantly be making apologies for ourselves. So um, mm. good luck with it, Diana. Thank you. Yeah, and make sure you can get along and see Diana in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, yes. Chasing Keanu Reeves. You can get tickets at comedyfestival.com.au. <laughs> I can't wait to see that show. And, you know, if you do meet Keanu Reeves, uh, I would like to say oh. hello to him also. Just to, just a chat oh, in yeah. a bar. And me too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have more broad radio after this. Welcome back to our celebration of International Women's Day. We love that it's a day, well, actually, it's a week, really, sometimes 10 days, in which we celebrate how far we have come towards gender equality, but also remember that it is a challenge to keep going. Don't give up, don't you reckon, Ange? That's right. We're not there yet. We are edging closer, but we're not there yet. No, but there are people all around the world, women and men who are celebrating International Women's Day and we're connecting with different versions of that kind of celebration. And we just love this particular one. Andrea McGinley has been celebrating International Women's Day with her local community since the early 90s. And she joins us now. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Joe. Hello, Angela. Tell us, what is it that you do with your community? We meet, we share coffee, we talk about what's what's happening, what's going on, what we're thinking about. We celebrate births, deaths, marriages, divorces. Um, we've been meeting since 88. We, we don't just meet for International Women's Day. This group of friends meets um, casually and together at a coffee shop once a month. Some of us meet um, in between the, the month and uh, a small group might meet for coffee some day or another day. Sharing coffee or tea or a glass of wine is, is important and having the space to talk together and listen carefully. I did want to ask you though that you a few years ago created an anthology of writing. Uh, you have the book there um, and uh, you contributed a story yourself. Can you tell us about that? Uh, I'll show you the book. Um, it's called Women's Words, a local anthology. And the, on the front there, you see the Northcote Hill with the town hall and the churches on the hill and mm. uh, silhouettes of some of the women who were in the group. And this, this um, cover was designed by a member of the group. And the book was published by one of the women in the group who was a publisher. Um, one of the stories that I wrote was about my neighbor uh, and one of the preoccupations of women often is tidiness, cleanliness, um, being, making sure that we and our children are, are um, neat and tidy. Uh, and sometimes that can become a big preoccupation. And my neighbour was uh, probably five years older than me, Italian. Or, yeah, she was born in Italy and not a blade of grass in her, in her garden stood out. Everything was ordered. Her house was always meticulously tidy. I was really jealous of that but because uh, with two little boys, I could never keep the house as tidy as I would have liked. And I'm not tidy by nature and neither is my husband. <laughs> so the story is about Maria the neighbour, I think in the book I call her Giovanna, but Maria, I came home from work one day and Maria was pacing up and down the path outside, talking loudly to herself, and I said, what's up, what's up? She said, there's a burglar in the house, he's in there now. So I rushed into my house, which is next door, called the police, and uh, when I came back, Maria had gone, and I thought, if the guy has a gun, where is she, what's going to happen? 
the policeman came to the door, went in the door, and Maria came rushing out, grabbed me, and said, look, 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 what has he done, what has he done? And her house was an absolute mess. They pulled the bed apart, they pulled all the books out, stuff was out of the fridge. She said, why do they look for something in the fridge? Don't know. It really was a big frightening thing. The guy had disappeared, the police caught him down in the next street. Uh, and he didn't have a gun. But I said, Maria, come round to my place and we'll have a strong coffee. So she came round. She speaks with somewhat of a thick accent. And uh, we walked in the door and she says, Andrea, you didn't tell me. He'd been here first. <laughs> that is very funny. Oh, what a great story. I'm the mother of a comedian. <laughs> You are a mother of a comedian. We know you as Danny McGinley's mum, and we both, Ange and I, love Danny. We love him for his comedy work and also his work in football. So, um, yeah, we're That's very good. fond of him. And, yes, we can see where he gets his sense of humour, can't we, Ange? We absolutely can. As a documentary <laughs> filmmaker, I can't help but think I wish I'd documented your group's history over the past 30 odd years because you would have seen so many changes you said people people come people go and it would have been a really good story to tell um, following a group of women and the challenges that they have in their lives and the celebrations would have been a really uplifting story to tell yes it would have but this, isn't this what you're doing on broad radio yeah. You are yes, we are. interviewing people, you're talking to people, and uh, a book was something that we could do. That was our medium. Mm -hmm. And books are still important, but I think what you're doing is really inspiring and really um, uplifting. And I'm going to do my bit to make sure everybody knows Joe Stanley's on broad radio, <laughs> and you can get it through Facebook and um, YouTube. And uh, we'll get more women of my age around to subscribe. Oh, thanks, Andrea. That's I really... I think what you're doing is so important. Well... So, okay, you could document 30 years, <laughs> but you're doing it now in the present. Amazing. I'll tell you what, Andrea... Um, Neither Ange or I will be doing what we're doing without women like yourself of your generation. Um, and I have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, feminism stands as it is today because of the work of the generations before us, um, because of women such as yourself. And we are indebted to you for that. Mm -hmm. um, what Can you tell us just uh, finally, um, what's something on International Women's Day that you, you look at now and you think, wow, when you were, you, when you were in your 20s, you really felt like that would never have happened? Single-sex marriage is one of them. Mm. Never thought. There were people in our group who didn't even acknowledge that they were in love. Mm. Um, they, they were sort of on the edges. Uh, and... Um, to have women able and men able to come together and share their lives together, I think is a huge change. My sister is um, married to her friend Claire. They're now wife and wife. And it's made, a, and we are a traditional Catholic family. Um, I'm not anything now. Um, I follow the spirit of the world. But that was a huge change in our lifetime. Uh, and I think that's really important. And it's in that space, in your space, that women can be free to be themselves. Uh, we can, and we are all different. Um, it, it's just, that is the hugest change I could think of. And a profound and joyous change and um, yeah. So, so much to celebrate in that. Um, and of course, as we say, there's more, more, more work to be done. What's something you would like to see change uh, moving forward towards gender equality? I would like to see misogyny out of parliament, out mm. of the men's space. I would like, I would like us to feel strong, to feel ennobled, to be who we are 
and not have to be fit into um, the shirt and tie brigade. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> here, here, sister. <laughs> Thank you, sister. Oh, and wow. congratulations to all the women who are watching your programs and to all of us who are celebrating International Women's Day. I will say, go and have a look at the, the statue, the artwork of the Great Petition in MacArthur Park, which is a, a, a symbolic thing of the petition that women put together in 1908 in Victoria. It wasn't accepted till 1925. And Indigenous women didn't get the vote till 1962, but it was begun. And the, the statue itself is it, it's inspiring. There were people before us, there are people now, and there are women coming. I have granddaughters who I have great hopes for. One of them will run the world. She runs us. I love that. Oh, yes. Andrea, it has been an absolute joy to speak oh, with you. Oh, there it is. There's that beautiful well statue. Thank you so much, Andrea. You take care. Oh, can you hear me there, Ange? Oh, I can. Yes. I can hear Sorry. you now. I just said what an absolute <laughs> legend Andrea is. Oh, she certainly is. And this is the best job. We are meeting so many fabulous women on broad radio, aren't we? It's been such a wonderful short journey so far, but yeah. so many different stories from different parts of life and it's been fantastic to be involved. Yeah, but I think what Andrea says there is so true that people have come before us, people will go ahead of us, mm -hmm. um, but we are here this day to make a difference yep. and I feel so really inspired by her. She's sitting there in her suffragette colours and, you know, that's, yes. we, we owe it to her to keep going. We, we, owe, we owe it to our sons and daughters to keep going. Yep, yep, that is so true. And, and we need to know more about our history. You know, it surprises me that there are people out there who don't know what a suffragist is. Mm. It's because of those women who stared down convention that we have the right to vote. Mm. And I just wish that that was a, you know, studied, it was, it was part of the school curriculum because these are very important women who have given mm. us the freedoms that we have today. Well, some of, the, some of those women sacrificed their lives for it. You know, it's, <laughs> yes. it, it was that, it was that, that extreme, the fight for the vote back then. Well, yeah. we have a fight on our hands still and I want to encourage everybody to march on Monday, 15th of March, March for Justice. Let's flood the streets. Look at that. Are we mm -hmm. really still fighting for this shit? Yeah, are we really still? Of course. It's it's full of fury, that, that sign, and as it should be. Um, the fact is... What we're doing when we're marching is telling the people in power that we will not stand for this anymore. It is enough. And the fact, you know, mm. you know, at the end of the day, we have a vote. We ourselves have a vote. Mm. And when it comes time to vote, we can choose to vote for the current leaders or not, can't we? That's right. 30 years ago, I marched to reclaim the night. 30 years ago. And we are still marching to be respected as human beings, to be treated as equals, to be safe inside our homes and outside of our homes. I mean, it's it's shameful that we have to do this. Mm. Um, but what is changing is that men have become very much part of this conversation because up until quite recently, it's women who have shouldered all the conversations about respect. You know, we've, we've, we've done it on our own mm. but the good thing about living in this era is that we can share that load and and men are, are you know diving in having these really important conversations as well and talking to other blokes um so let's march together joe yes let's do that yeah, yeah we'll have a little broad radio crew in melbourne we're going to be marching on monday 
15th of March, but there are marches going on all around the country from Byron Bay to Darwin Mm -hmm. to WA to Torquay and everywhere around the country. So please get your sisters together and your brothers and, you know, just let's all all join arms and say enough is enough. Um, You can see the website there, marchforjustice.com.au. It's got all the information as to where you can march in your part of the country. We thank you for joining us on Broad Radio as always. And I know that people have been joining us from WA this morning, which means they got up very early in the morning to do so so we really thank you for that um and as always please go to youtube uh it's at broad radio oz uh like and subscribe Mm -hmm. and head along to facebook and like us as well because that's going to really help us in these very early days we've only been going 10 shows can you believe it Ange? it's great i love it i love it it's all it's evolving it is it's true and make sure you check out Angie's documentary called the record which is all about t20 cricket from last year it's on abc iview and i know that the second episode went to air last night Angie, and people loved it because it is awesome yeah can i say that it is yeah. awesome it is awesome you you should say that you worked so very hard yes. on it and uh i i just yeah i want everybody in the whole world to see it because it's amazing thanks, thanks again Ange, for joining me on broad radio we'll see you all this Bye. time next week hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.